Welcome to Is This Working? The podcast hosted by two best friends who question everything we've ever been taught about work, life, and happiness. I'm Anna Codrerado. And I'm Tiffany Philippou. Gosh, it's been a while since we've said that. I know. We're back. Season six. Can you believe it, my friend? So we've been making this podcast since July 2019, a literal lifetime ago. And I actually recently checked and we've recorded about 62 episodes so far. Um, But anyway, we're back with a brand new season. And before we get into today's episode, we wanted you, dear listeners, to know that we've mixed things up a bit. Nothing major, nothing to panic about. It's still Tiffany and I having honest conversations and asking a lot of juicy questions with the occasional guest special thrown into the mix. But we are broadening out our scope. These last 20 months or so over the dreaded pandemic have transformed the conversation around work into one that's more about meaning, purpose and happiness. And so we're going to take all of our is this working energy and we're going to use it to question everything that we've been taught, not just about work, but also about life and happiness. That's right. We're going to be asking the big questions like, does my work need to have a purpose? Would I be happier if I consumed less? What impact is shame having on our life and our relationships? And we're starting questioning from this week. This week, we're going to be talking about productivity dysmorphia, a phrase that Anna coined to describe an inability to see her own success. So today we're going to be asking, why can't we see our own success? Before we get into the episode, please, please do rate, review and subscribe to the show so others can find us. This is especially important to do right now as we're launching the new season, because the way the algorithms work is when you launch the new season, launch new content, they react more to those wonderful reviews and everything um, like that. So pretty please do that for us. Thank you so much. On with the show. Anna, you wrote an article called Do I Have Productivity Dysmorphia for Refinery29? And the internet went bananas for it. Um, You clearly hit uh, something for people that was super relatable. There was also that inevitable controversy that comes from something that is so popular and widely, widely resonates. But before we get into that, let's start at the beginning. Tell me how the piece came about. Yes, of course, I'd be more than happy to. So this whole story started when I published my first book. So last year, I wrote a book called You're the Business, and it's a handbook for freelancers. It's got everything that I've ever learned Uh, about freelancing, um, both from running my own business and also from talking to experts. Um, It's got all of that information all packed into there. It's supposed to be a kind of, it's a handbook basically for freelancers. I put a lot of work into it. I was incredibly 
incredibly proud of it and I continue to be incredibly proud of it. However, a curious thing happened when the book actually came out and after I'd uh, and after it was published. I found myself in all kinds of conversations with people who would say things like, oh my God, you wrote a book that is so huge. You should, you know, you must be so proud of, you must be so proud of it. Um, it's so big. It's such a big achievement. And I could hear what they were saying and I did uh, totally agree with them, but there was just a disconnect because I just couldn't feel that. I could not feel that sense of achievement at least not to the extent of of their enthusiasm like my kind of my own personal feelings of it just didn't seem to match up to the enthusiasm that I was feeling from other people and that led to a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and I just felt I just didn't it just did not feel good at all and I kind of realized that this was something that I've I've done quite a lot throughout my career and for me, it sort of manifests in this idea of um, just basically not feeling like an achievement is actually quote unquote real. So I made up all of these excuses in my head that, oh, you know, yes, it's a book, but it's not a novel. It's a piece of nonfiction. So it's therefore not a real book. Um, and because it's a um, because it's kind of like a um, essentially sort of like a, a business book in many respects, um, it's there was no, there's no hardback edition of it. It was, um, uh, it was, it went, you know, it went straight to paperback. Um, so it, the, all of these things were reasons I used to minimize the success. And what I realized what that was happening is that basically had a perception problem. I could not see my own success. It was like, I was looking in the mirror and I was wearing this kind of coat of being a published author but I couldn't see, that was not what was being reflected back at me. I just could not see or savor that success. Um, And so, yeah, I pitched this article to Refinery29 because I wanted to kind of explore this idea further. And basically I spoke to a whole whole load of experts and what I kind of concluded is, you know, I I coined this term productivity dysmorphia to essentially, um, to kind of, to, to mean this gap that we have and this inability we we have to see our own success. And um, the way I sort of, the loose definition that I arrived at is that it is this, it sits at the intersection of burnout, anxiety, and imposter syndrome. Because when you first describe this to someone, a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of the experts, a lot of people kind of say, oh, that's imposter syndrome. And whilst there are definitely factors at play there, imposter syndrome, at least in this context, so that's the other thing, just to kind of ground this whole discussion, I'm talking specifically about this inability to see one's, sorry, this inability to see my own success in a professional context. So um, hence why I've kind of used using this term productivity dysmorphia. And so at least within this kind of career context, yeah, I have plenty of insecurities about my career, but what differentiates imposter syndrome or kind of the key defining factor of imposter syndrome is this idea that you're going to get caught out. And I, I kind of don't feel that's, that wasn't really what was going on for me here. Uh, my actual uh, faith and confidence in my ability to do my job, uh, I actually have that. I actually do feel fairly confident 
in my abilities. I don't kind of have this feeling of I'm going to get found out and that I'm an imposter. For for another episode, I have that in other areas of my life, but kind of not around this sort of um, this particular thing that I'm talking about here. So that kind of didn't really seem to fit, although there's definitely elements of that at play. And then as far as burnout was concerned, again, there seemed to be elements of that at play, but it didn't sort of didn't capture this very specific um, issue that I was talking about. So, um, so yeah, I spoke to all these experts, um, kind of like developed this, this sort of theory, um, and kind of defined the term, wrote it up, published the piece and it, um, it just got a lot of people talking in, in many, in the conversation has gone in many different directions and yeah, that's kind of, and that sort of brings us to, to, to right now. So is this about perception? So people's perception of you isn't matching your perception of yourself? Yeah, exactly. So it's that you you actually have done something, which, uh, uh, and here, like, I think this is kind of um, something that we can definitely unpack and talk about further. But you have, you know, when you've done something, like, again, let's, let's use this example of my books. I think it's a really good one. I have always wanted to write a book and to a large extent wanting to write a book is a sort of, it's one of those key milestones that many writers, not all, but many writers want because having, having a book writing to that length, it, it, it's, it's a key milestone, at least in my career, it's a key milestone that I have long wanted as in my career as a writer. And it's one of those sort of traditional and external markers of success as a writer. And so by and large, it is considered an achievement to write a book that is kind of generally considered to be something where, you know, that is quote unquote success makes you, makes you a quote unquote successful writer. We can sort of debate the merits of that separately, but I would say that's pretty much agreed on. And then yet I just could not accept it. I couldn't accept the achievement for what it was. I was making up, I was kind of doing all of these mental contortions about why it's not a real book, why it's not a real achievement. So that's, this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's it's this, it's this skewed perception. It's this dysmorphia where you just, you can't see the reality. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting because I'm just trying to get my head around how it's different from, say, a rival fallacy, where for those who don't know, it's when you achieve a goal and you get there and it never feels how you expect it to feel. Um, and I wonder how much that's at play here or is there something different going on um, in the context that you're talking about with productivity dysmorphia? So that definitely plays a really big part part it was something that a rival fallacy never really came up when I spoke to the experts but someone did bring up the hedonic treadmill which are pretty much the same thing really or sorry a rival fallacy can very much be explained by the hedonic treadmill which is basically that um we kind of just expand into like we sort of have we have a like we have a baseline um and we, um, you know, we have an achievement and we're really, really happy with it, but then we just kind of like return back to that baseline. So it's this idea of, um, you know, things trying to reach a destination is not going to make you happy. 
or at least in the sense that it's this idea of if I achieve X, then I will be happy. Or when I have done this, then, then I, then I will, then I will be able to relax or, or all of these things. Um, and that definitely, I think plays a part in this for sure. Um, but I do think that it kind of goes a bit beyond that as well, because again, like I think what I'm trying to carve out is something that I've long been fascinated with, which is how our work specifically can sometimes cause these feelings of discomfort. And I think something that I'm really interested in is, you know, it's this kind of chicken and egg question of, am I just someone who, you know, maybe is um, quite anxious or has like low self-esteem and all of these things. And so therefore when I do, when I do achieve something, it's harder for me to recognize that. Or is it kind of the other way around? And it's more that, you know, work is a really stressful place. My, the industry that I work in is, is really stressful and kind of like the whole system of work in which we operate, um, has these forces that bear down on us and, and, and make us, you know, make us question our own abilities and all of these things. Um, so those are kind of some of the things that were, um, were kind of, going on for me basically. But yeah, I mean, a rival fallacy is definitely like a big, um, does play a big, big role here. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the hedonic treadmill, um, theory. I, I don't know if it's, if it's counts as a theory. Uh, I, I was talking on the other day about how, um, when I was single, I used to remind myself that because of the hedonic treadmill, my baseline of happiness, I might, if I start a relationship, then I'll have a peak, I'll like peak and then it will kind of flatten down. And I find that really comforting. And I think about how um, my own book is coming out in March and I keep reminding myself, like, it's not gonna, what you know, it's almost the pursuit and the intrinsic motivation for those goals. But once you get to those goals, um, it doesn't really affect your happiness or if it does, it's a short little boost. Um, so I'm a huge fan of that, um, theory and reminding myself of those sorts of things but as you said what you're talking about is um I'm tempted to use the word sinister actually because it's not simply that you got to a point and it was disappointing it was that you created narratives and stories to literally undermine your own success yes exactly like exactly I call it ambitions alter ego so I think that is a really key part of all of this because it's 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 very cruel in that you, you work really hard, you achieve the thing you're working towards, and then there's something stopping you from savoring those achievements. So again, it's it's like I said, it's very similar to the hedonic treadmill, and I do think the hedonic treadmill plays a big role in this. And also, of course, I'm going to preface this with fully fully acknowledging that you know much of this is my own pop psychology, but. Um, I think I think there is a, a that plays that is, there is a lot of value in that nonetheless. Um but anyway, so very similar but there's something else going on here as well. I love that phrase ambitions alter ego because this must be an affliction that only really affects the ambitious because you have to achieve certain goals that are translatable to the people around you to understand what they are, which in itself could be a whole other Thing to explore so it's really interesting that this is kind of like an affliction of the ambitious so what drives ambition is probably the same potentially 
devil on the shoulder, if you will, that might drive the one that creates and undermines any achievements. Like it's more, 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 nothing's ever enough. I need to fill, fill whatever I'm fill, filling. Does that, does that sound fair? Oh, a hundred percent. And something that I think is really relevant here and that I actually only discovered this after I had written the piece, I only discovered this in, you know, in the, in the last week or so, there is a brilliant article, which was actually written, I think in 2018, I will link, link it in the show notes. There was a brilliant article written in the cut about, um, what's the difference between ambition and anxiety. And to me, that was this kind of light bulb went off and I, and, and I would, I, I don't actually know the answer to that. And actually the, the journalist who wrote it also kind of, in the end sort of struggle to kind of find, um, figure out where that middle ground lies, especially I think when you are someone with an anxious disposition, it can be really hard to know where the anxiety ends and the ambition begins. And it's something I think I've shared on this podcast before, but I will always be haunted by the words of an ex-boyfriend who basically said that, you know, I'm, I'm never going to stop. I'm, I'm never going to be able to savor my, um, my success. I'm always going to want more, more, more. And it was, these were kind of said in like, in like heated parting words. And it was very much said, uh, you know, unpleasantly. Um, and it's that idea of, and it's something that I've also long wondered, like ambition is the thing that drives us for more, but then also how do we know when to stop and and how do we know when to just savor something? And in many respects, anxiety is also a thing that propels us forward because at least I speaking for myself, how I kind of experience anxiety is that you 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 very often are are, are sorry, at least, you know, I am very often troubled by the unknown and I'm feeling really anxious and really pent up. And therefore I just need to, you know, I, I can't sit in the discomfort of the unknown. So I must solve something. I must do something. I must be proactive. I must, you know, take, take, take the lead and, and do something. And again, it's can be, it can be really hard to know which lever to pull and to know how to, um, to, to sort of use these things or how to approach these things in a healthy way, because stress just in and of itself is not always a bad thing. It's, it's more the management of the stress. Again, anxiety as just an emotion and a feeling that all human beings have is not in and of itself always a bad thing. It's when it becomes, and when it kind of, um, gets to a point where it's overwhelming you and it's impacting the way you live your life and all the, all of these things, when it kind of tips over into just being like a, no, a normal response to a, to a troubling situation versus something that uh, becomes debilitating and kind of tips over into the disorder um, side of things. So, so yeah, for sure, this question of is it anxiety or is it ambition, is it, it, it now perplexes me and troubles me. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, ambition is a way of trying to control the future. Exactly. But if I was to flip my tone slightly, there was, there's also a part of me that thinks that one might read an article like that and it almost come across as a humble brag in the sense, I relate, I'm really successful, but no one else can, I can't see it. And I'm not necessarily saying that of you and I'm not certainly not saying that of your readers, but there could be... 
there's something interesting about that, like to be able to relate. So you can see your success to a certain extent to be able to relate to it. But I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there. What, what's your reaction to that? Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I I felt like a massive dick basically getting out my tiny violin and saying, oh, I wrote a book and I still don't think it's good enough. So now I'm going to publish an article about how I didn't think it was good enough in like a, you know, a like on an on the internet in a like major international publication um yeah of course but i think that is that to me is part of the issue for two reasons one i do firmly believe that work is a place that causes us a lot of inner turmoil and quite frankly psychological pain for so many reasons and we don't have we we're actively discouraged from talking about that in the workplace you're supposed to bring your professional self to work it's not appropriate to get quote unquote emotional or to talk about your personal problems or to talk about when your work is affecting your mental health and and if your if your work does affect your mental health that's your problem it's not it's couldn't possibly be that the environment you find yourself in is is a contributing factor so so there is that that like i do think that just work causes a lot of these issues for us um and then i do think the other part of this which is a bit more um i haven't fully organized my thoughts on it and i don't fully know where i land on it but another big part of this is also what do we mean when we talk about success so is this really a is this is this a hubble brag because fundamentally i keep going after markers of success that are pinned to what other people think of as successful and so therefore i'm never fully going to be satisfied because what i'm essentially seeking is external validation and i'm extrinsically motivated rather than intrinsically motivated um again it's these things of intellectually i know it is so much better for my own well-being to seek success on my own terms and to make my own definition of success. However, it's one thing to intellectually be able to acknowledge that and to even to agree that that is probably a much healthier approach. But then it's another thing to actually completely, you know, to be able to put the blinkers on and to stay so laser focused on doing something, particularly when it is outside of the status quo, when it is not the norm, that's actually really hard. <laughs> and, you know, we've talked about in the past on this on this podcast about um, coming up with our own definitions of success. And I think there's an old episode, I can't even remember when it was, when, you know, I spoke about how I, f- I feel like I am successful. I felt like I was successful, but in by my own standards and, and like how happy I was. Um, that isn't linear. Like, Yes, I have moments where today where I still stand by that, you know, I get to do a job I love, like, you know, I get to do stuff like this and call it work and 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 how successful I am that that is my job. But then I do have other moments where, you know, quite frankly, I'll, I'll, I'll I think of all the ways in which I, I am not successful by, um, by those external markers of it. And I feel disappointed. So, um, I think all of those things are kind of what's converging here. And I think that is why, um, you know, I think it's totally fair. I think, I think anyone who kind of did read, who reads that and says, oh, this is just a humble brag. Um, I totally see why they say that. Um, well, should we take a quick break and then we can get on to the reactions to the piece? Stay tuned. 
Anna, talk to me about the reaction you've had to the piece, positive and negative. Sure. So one thing I will say is that as a writer, I speak for myself here. All I want is for people to engage with my work. I definitely want to be read and validated and have my ego massage a little bit. Of course I do. But fundamentally, I want my writing to just spark something in people and I want it to be a conversation starter rather than a conversation finisher. Um, So that's kind of the point that I, how I approach all of these things. And um, it was really great to hear from so many people that, well, obviously not great because this is not a nice thing to experience, but it was, it was really, um, it was, it was good that to hear that people felt like this is a thing I have and now I have some kind of language for it. So that, that I was just so pleased by to kind of see this thing kind of blow up and people just really identify with it. And, um, and, and feel like they're not alone and feel like they, they, you know, they too have this thing that seems like lots of other people have, because that was the thing, by the way, that I heard from people from all kind of like, yes, it was kind of, you know, the, it was kind of concentrated in this sort of like knowledge worker sphere and kind of like creative sphere, but still it was people from at all stages of their career in all sorts of different types of jobs and it did not seem by the way that the more the more kind of accolades you have and the and the more su- more successful you were this this problem doesn't seem to go away um so there was that and that was great um and uh, there were also like inevitable trolls of which you know I'm I will give no airtime to I think one thing that is really frustrating for me as a writer is that something I noticed is my piece got picked up by other sort of news aggregators and then summarized in someone else's words turned into some sort of like you know social media post and then that got posted on all sorts of other places and so there became a real big distance between what I was actually saying and then the thing that people were engaging with and trolls being trolls don't actually read the article. They just read the headline and then say nasty things. Um, but that's like, that's not to be, I just don't engage with that. Um, and then there was some pushback and some critique, shall we call it? Um, which was, um, definitely really helpful. And I very much kind of invite that. Like I said, it's, this is about pushing the conversation forward. Something that I kind of heard from a few people was they just didn't really like this term productivity dysmorphia. They found it too clinical and they don't really like this kind of idea of like, of medicalizing our work problems. And I totally hear that and think that is something really interesting to me. What then that sparks is the question of why are we medicalizing our work problems? Um, and I have various thoughts around that. Um, and then, yeah, then there was just some kind of like, um, other sort of pushback on this idea that we are, um, it's not helpful to individualize work problems, but really this is part of a broader, that these problems are not kind of individual psych, individual psychological problems. They are, issue there are these are political issues that are the result of um the system of work which i totally agree with and actually i did say that in the piece um so you know to be clear i don't think that productivity dysmorphia 
is a kind of condition that it is on the individual to quote unquote fix or solve, but rather I've identified a thing and I've put it out there for people to engage with. That's a whistle stop tour of the yeah, <laughs> responses there. that I'm I've like, had. Okay, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to digest there. I'm wondering, um, you know, let's. Why don't we? Why don't we start with the medical term for work problems? And because you know, I think I, I'm really torn because I understand to medicalize work problems is minimizing minimizing even work, but actually, maybe our work problems have the depth and seriousness that those terms are appropriate. I'm 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 kind of torn on that. One thing I would say to that is none of the, I direct, I straight up asked. So I, I wrote a, um, first of all, I wrote a follow-up piece. So I wrote a follow-up piece to the original productivity dysmorphia piece. I wrote a follow-up piece in Business Insider where I basically went on this quest to fix my own productivity dysmorphia and then concluded that that was a fool's errand and that this wasn't a problem that I had it's not a failing on my part and not a thing to fix. And that actually that, that is pretty faulty thinking on my part. Um, but actually this is a much bigger problem. Um, and it's not something again, like, unfortunately there will be a spoiler that for longtime listeners who love our podcast and who come for the discussion at the end about how do, practically, what do we do and how do we fix this? There, you kind of can't, um, you know, this is not a case of, and then I wrote down my wins at the end of every day and now I'm fine. It's, that's just not, that's not how this, that's not how this goes. Um, so, so there's that. Um, but anyway, so the, all of the psychologists I spoke to, none of them had a problem with me using the term dysmorphia in relation to this. They, you know, they said, actually, this is, it's, it's what you've identified is, is a thing and this is a good term for it. Asking these questions and self-examination is a good place to start. So where do we go from here? Right, yeah, well, as I said... Unfortunately, there isn't a quick fix for any of this stuff. And in fact, I, I do really want to emphasize that this kind of idea of being unable to see one's own success, it's not, it's not, I'm not saying it's a syndrome that needs curing. Um, and they're like, if, if you've read my piece and you related to it, that, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you or, you know, whether you read my piece or whether what we're talking about today, um, that if you've related to it, that doesn't mean that there's something that's wrong with you and that you then have to kind of go away and fix. Um, but that being said, as someone who's very much experienced this, um, it's a really crappy thing to experience. And so I do have some advice to kind of help at least alleviate those, those kind of feelings of, um, more inadequacy and kind of like guilt and shame and all these things that kind of come with this. Um, so my advice is kind of twofold and it's basically look first, look inward and then look outward. And what I mean by that is start by looking at your, start by looking at yourself and do try to dig deeper and try to work out specifically what is causing your distress. So, you know, I talked about how productivity dysmorphia is sort of sits at this intersection of anxiety 
burnout and imposter syndrome. So I think kind of use that as a jumping off, jumping off point to go further, to kind of work out what it is specifically for you that the problem is. And something that I heard recently, so I was interviewing an academic, I'm not I'm not going to say who just because I'm working on this piece and it's not out yet at the time of recording this, but I was working, um, uh, speaking to this, um, to this expert who is a, like a work culture expert. Um, and they kind of said to me that we have this impulse at the moment to rush for a solution to fixing the problems we see in our work culture, but actually we don't really know what, we actually don't know what the full extent of the problem is. And I found that to be a really kind of light bulb moment. And it was one of those pieces of sort of kernels of advice that someone said, which was actually kind of in relation to something else that you can really apply to lots of things. Um, And again, kind of going back to stuff we've covered today, where we're talking about how very often, if you have an anxious disposition, you want to rush for a, for a cure and you want to rush to fix something. But actually, sometimes you don't know exactly what you're trying to fix. So don't rush for a solution until you've identified the problem and ways to work on identifying that problem. Start with yourself and your own kind of interrogation and asking all of these questions um, and kind of like just like thinking and trying to like get to the root of what's really going on. Um, and that's something that is not, you know, I can't, that's going to be on an individual level. Um, each of us will have different things that are bringing up these um, these kind of like feelings of productivity dysmorphia. That it's coming, it's going to be coming from different places depending on the individual. So it, 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 you know, it, it does require a certain amount of kind of like self discovery. Um, and then from there, I really encourage people to go outwards as well. And you know, obviously, I say this from a position of it's my job to interview experts. It's my job to kind of like read widely about work culture and about, um, you know, psychology and economics and all, and all, and all of these things. But not only is that research obviously informs the work that I do and it makes it into the articles and onto this podcast. Um, but also just like, I find it just really helps me as well, kind of ground and root, uh, like ground the ground my own problems in in that wider context, and it just helps pierce my own bubble. Um, and I'm gonna link. I'll link a bunch of stuff in the show notes, and there are things that we kind of talked about um, uh, talked about throughout this episode, and I'll make sure to include those links. But um, you know, just engage with the broader social, cultural, and economic forces that are bearing down on us and are causing us to feel less than. And in, you know, what we're talking about here in this case, in this context, it's it's um, it's in sort of like the work environment. Um, but if you sort of engage with that stuff, it just helps you feel a lot less alone. Um, and it just, again, it just kind of helps you see the difference between when is it a me problem and when is it a a them problem and in this case the them is you know like the system of work and 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 the sort of economic inequalities and 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 all of those things um so yeah like first you know start start with an inward reflection but and then make sure you kind of like you turn that camera lens and you you focus outwards as well Right. I'm sure that's going to give a lot of our listeners something to think about. So thank you, Anna, for sharing your story with us today. Thanks very much. And that's it for today's episode. Until next time, keep questioning. You've been listening to Is This Working? 
hosted by Anna Cogerado and Tiffany Philippou. It was produced by Chris Bannister. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment to rate and review the show. It really helps us out. Until next time.